have a good week avoiding traffic and traffic jams and enjoying your time sitting there. A lot of crazy people once you start sitting in traffic. Even crazy people coming through our parking lot on their bikes because they think the bike path is our parking lot. Pastor Matt almost got taken out this week walking to his truck and the guy proceeded to yell at him and curse at him for being in the bike path <laughs> while he was in our parking lot. But Matt said after he got done flipping him off, he crashed into the porch. So, Have Matt tell you this story. It's a good one. Just part of it, I guess. Uh, we're going to be in John chapter 8 this morning, picking back up in our study. been in John for a few weeks now. Usually we're back and forth between the, the different Gospels, but we're staying within the, the storyline here right in John. And um, I've enjoyed studying John, studying chapter 7, chapter 8, and uh, it gets, it's all interesting, but we'll get to see Jesus dealing with the haters here in a couple of weeks here, and Jesus gets pretty firm with them, um, to say the least. Uh, this week, he gives them a warning. He calls them out. Um, it's it's uh, just incredible stuff to me that's going on. But last week, we saw Jesus claim to be the light of the world. Um, and we saw him give ample evidence to back up his claim. Remember, the, the Pharisees re rejected what he said. They didn't believe him. What witnesses do you have? And Jesus went on to show the Father bears witness with me and and uh, I am actually the light of the world. Then we see their, their rejection. Jesus tells the Pharisees, he warns the Pharisees in verse number 21. We looked at this last week, but then said Jesus again unto them, I go my way and ye shall seek me and shall die in your sins. Whither I go, ye cannot come. So there would be consequences for their, their self-righteous rejection. Jesus had told them this is at least the second time that we have recorded. So who knows how many times he warned them that it's not even recorded of him warning them. But he's warning them the, the problem, the consequences for their self-righteousness. Um, Jesus um, is repeating the warning from chapter 7, verses 33 and 34. Then said Jesus unto them, Yet a little while am I with you, then I go again unto him that sent me. Ye shall seek me, and shall not find me, and where I am, thither ye cannot come. So he's given them warnings. Believe in me, I am the light, I am, I, I am the, the life-giving water. Believe in me, they, they reject him, so he's giving them these, these warnings. Their unwillingness to believe left them unforgiven, unredeemed, and unprepared to meet God. What a scary position to be in. To hope that you're ready, to, to, to think that you've done enough to be ready to stand before a holy, righteous, just God. They're, they're in a bad place, as is anyone who rejects Christ. Jesus was going to a place that those who reject him can never go. In verse 35, they, they shrug this, this warning off. Then said the Jews among themselves, Whither will he go that we shall not find him? 
Will he go unto the dispersed among the Gentiles and teach the Gentiles? So they just mockingly shrug off his warning by saying that Jesus would be going to the Gentiles. Remember, they looked at that mocking him because they're too righteous. They're too good to, to go talk to the Gentiles, to go spend time with the Gentiles, to go minister to the Gentiles. So they mock Jesus and make fun of him. Hey, if he goes to the Gentiles, we're not going to go there because we're too righteous. We're, we're too good to go talk to the, the Gentiles. In our text today, we again see these these unbelieving people reject Jesus, reject his very serious warning. Let's look at our text today, verses 22 through 30. It's, it's going to be familiar. It's going to seem a lot the same story where Jesus proclaims himself to be something and the people reject it. Maybe some believe. But it feels like, it seems like we've been on this, this same story, different verse for a while here of people rejecting. But the story hasn't changed a lot. We still have people rejecting Jesus thousands of years later. But let's look at our text together, starting in verse 22. Then said the Jews, Will he kill himself? Because he saith, Whither I go, ye cannot come. And he said unto them, Ye are from beneath, I am from above, ye are of this world, I am not of this world. I said therefore unto you that ye shall die in your sins, for if ye believe not that I am he, ye shall die in your sins. Then said they unto him, Who art thou? Hasn't Jesus kind of told them already? Who art thou? And Jesus saith unto them, Even the same that I said unto you from the beginning. I have many things to say and to judge of you, but he that sent me is true, and I speak to the world those things which I have heard of him. They understood not that he spake to them of the Father. Then said Jesus unto them, when ye have lifted up the Son of Man, then shall ye know that I am He, and that I do nothing of myself, but as my Father hath taught me, I speak these things. And he that sent me is with me, the Father hath not left me alone, for I do always those things that please him. As he spake these words, many believed on him. Let's pray together. Dear Lord, I thank you. For today, I thank you that we can spend this time looking into your word and reflecting on you and, and your greatness. We can see your mercy and your grace. We can see your, your righteousness, your holiness, your, your justice. I pray that you would please work on our hearts. Please show us, challenge us, change us. Uh, please work in our hearts in a, in a special way today. I pray that we will see you, that we will glorify you, that we will uh, lift you up. You are so worthy of, of praise and honor and worship and glory. I thank you for your love and your faithfulness to us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So we'll jump right into it here um, because I have so many verses to go to today. Um, I hope your fingers are stretched out and ready to turn some pages because we're going to be Old Testament, New Testament. We're going to be all over the place. I'm not just going to reference them. I'm going to turn back and forth and read them. And there's a lot to cover here. I only have six pages of notes today. Um, but don't get excited. It's usually eight pages. We, we, we have a lot to cover today. Um, I think my first four pages of notes are just from verse 22. Um, 
Maybe not. But verse, verse 22, Then said the Jews, Will he kill himself, because he saith, Whither I go, ye cannot come? Will he kill himself? Do you see what they're alluding to there? Is Jesus going to kill himself? Is Jesus going to commit suicide? Those who were looking for ways to kill Jesus asked if he was going to kill himself. I think that's an interesting thought there. Because you have the leaders who, who are trying to find ways to get Jesus tripped up, to get him, get him to stumble, get him away to, to accuse him so then they can stone him or crucify him or however they wanted to kill him, they were looking for a way to kill him, and now they're accusing him of wanting to commit suicide. Suicide in the Jewish culture was a serious offense. It's a sad thing that, that still happens today. You hear about it all the time. Just a, a sad situation to think of people taking their own lives. But in the Jewish culture, it was very, very serious offense. They believed those who killed themselves went to the darkest part of hell. Josephus, the, the first century Jewish historian, you probably heard me reference him before, he wrote, the souls of those whose hands have acted madly against themselves are received by the darkest place in Hades. So the Jewish culture believed it was a very serious offense to commit suicide, and it, it was a serious thing where they believed there was a special dark hole in hell reserved for you for killing yourself. So these people are accusing Jesus, perfect sinless God, of considering committing suicide. Uh, the Pharisees thought that they were headed for heaven, so if Jesus was going somewhere that they could not go, he must be considering killing himself and going to hell, was their reasoning. That's pretty serious, flawed thinking to think of Jesus in that way. Now, the self-righteous leaders or the self-righteous Jews rejected what Jesus said and they mocked him, and they twisted his words to mean something that he never intended. Don't we see them doing that a lot, though? It's not like this is something new they just came up with. All the time they were trying to twist Jesus' words. Jesus was not going to kill himself. He would sacrificially lay his life down, though. That so wonderful to consider that he would willingly lay himself down as a sacrificial lamb. John chapter 10, just a page over, verse 17 and 18. Therefore doth my Father love me, because I lay down my life, that I might take it again. No man taketh it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. This commandment have I received of my Father. Matthew, back in Matthew chapter 28, or sorry, verse, chapter 20, verse 28. Even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. Jesus willingly laid his life down. A, a ransom, a, a payment, a, a, a sacrifice that would satisfy for sins. Jesus would not die by suicide. He would die at the hands of the very ones that mocked him. 
the place he was headed that they could not go was heaven. Why? Because they rejected the one that could make it possible for them to be right before God to go to heaven. Uh, there is such a deadly deception to self-righteousness, which is exactly what we see here. We see them relying on pride. We see them relying on self-righteousness where the perfect one is standing right in front of them, yet they're too self-righteous, too, too blind, too ignorant to see that the holy righteous one that could make them right before the Father is standing in front of them. So they want to try to stand on their laws and their traditions and their rules and all these things we talk about every week, it seems like. But there is such this deadly deception of self-righteousness. Romans chapter 10, verse number 3. For they being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God, which is the only righteousness that truly covers, which is the only righteousness that truly satisfies God's just demands is the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 3, verse 10. As it is written, there is no righteous, no, not one. Con continue reading. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. Their throat is an open sepulcher. With their tongue they have used deceit. The poison of asps is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways, and the way of peace have they not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. You see that with the Pharisees? them being swift to shed blood as well. At the end of this chapter, they're going to pick up stones and try to stone Jesus. Now we know that what things soever the law saith, it saith to them who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. You see what the law accomplishes? It's not righteousness. It's the awareness of unrighteousness. Yet these people are taking the law, standing in it in self-righteousness self and believing that they can stand. The truth of salvation cannot be gained by self-righteousness. And, and I say this and we say this, having the whole Bible to look at, having the New Testament to look at and to read, and we can see these realities. Well, you have these religious leaders here, you have these, these Pharisees, you have these people who were proud of the fact of how well they knew the Scriptures. The Old Testament isn't silent about the wickedness of humanity either. So they should have had this understanding that they were not righteous, that they could not stand right before God if they knew the Old Testament or if they, they cared to apply the Old Testament. I do believe they know it. I believe they had tons of it memorized, way more Scripture than I have memorized. The problem is that they were blind to the, the truth of the Scriptures. And I want to take you on this, this journey through the, the Old Testament, and this is not exhaustive, it's like five or six references, just to see that they should have seen their unrighteousness even in the Old Testament. We'll start in, in Psalm, Psalm 14, verses 2 and 3. The Lord looked down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there were any that did understand and seek God. 
They are all gone aside. They are all together become filthy. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. Turn over to Proverbs. If you are turning, I know it's a lot of turning. Proverbs 16, verse 2. All the ways of man are clean in his own eyes. That's not where it ends. But the Lord weigheth the spirits. They thought they were right. They thought they were good. But there is a judge greater than themselves. The Lord weighs the spirits. Uh, Chapter 20, verse number 9. Who can say, I have made my heart clean? I am pure from my sin. Nobody. Chapter 30, verse number 12. There is a generation that are pure in their own eyes and yet is not washed from their filthiness. And that sounds like reality today, too. Isaiah 57. Verse number 12. I will declare thy righteousness and thy works, for they shall not profit thee. Then go over to 64, verses 5 and 6. Thou meetest him that rejoiceth and and worketh righteousness, those that remember thee in thy ways, behold, thou art wroth, for we have sinned in those as continuance, and we shall be saved. But we are all as unclean thing, as an unclean thing, and all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags, and we all do fade as a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. These religious leaders, these these rejecting Jews should have been aware. And I I can see them, their mentality thinking, but Scripture couldn't possibly be condemning their self-righteousness. They were too righteous for that. The Bible couldn't possibly be talking about their unrighteousness. They kept the law too closely. They had too many rules besides the law that they kept closely. The Bible couldn't possibly be condemning their sins. And that's the problem. Self-righteous pride. Every single person needs Jesus, no matter how much good that they have done. Salvation comes only from Christ's righteousness imputed on those who believe. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. See, I wasn't teasing. There's lots of verses today. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21. For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. We're not made the righteousness of God in doing good things and keeping the law. We're not made the righteousness of God in anything but Jesus Christ. And aren't you thankful that he made him to be sin for us who knew no sin? Jesus was able to be the perfect sacrifice, was able to bear our sins, and he did. I'm so thankful for that. We're made to be the righteousness of God in him. Self-righteousness 
may impress other self-righteous people. I've been around self-righteous people and it makes me want to throw up. But I'm sure I have self-righteous tendencies as well. So self-righteous people may impress other self-righteous people, but it sure does not impress God or satisfy his just demands. Matthew 23, verses 23 through 28. Jesus has something to say about self-righteousness. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye pay tithe of mint and cumin and have omitted the weightier matters of the law, judgment, mercy, and faith. These ought ye to have done and not to leave the other undone. Ye be blind guides which strain at a gnat and swallow a camel. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye make clean the outside of the cup and of the platter, but within they are full of extortion and excess. Thou blind Pharisees, cleanse first that which is within the cup and platter, that the outside of them may be clean also. <coughs> Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye are like unto whited sepulchres, which indeed appear beautiful outward, but are within full of dead men's bones and of all uncleanness. Even so, ye also outwardly appear righteous unto men, but within ye are full of hypocrisy and iniquity. Does that self-righteous attitude seem like something that God is looking for, that pleases him, that satisfies his just demands? Jesus doesn't mess around with his words at all. Cuts straight to the point. You might look good outside, but the inside, you're filthy, rotten, unrighteous sinner, is what he lets them know. And these were the spiritual leaders of the day. These were the ones claiming to be righteous, claiming to know God. They knew about God, but they did not know God. They knew pride and self-righteousness, and that's what they were counting on to make them right before God. And, and we, we've been talking a lot in, in chapter 7 and 8 about people who are trusting in their self-righteousness, who are looking to what they have done and how well they have kept ceremonies and all this stuff for their righteousness. And you say, well, how does that translate to our day to America where you don't see a lot of people running around wearing robes and fancy clothes and I mean you see it you see religious people claiming their religion and trusting their religion for righteousness you see them looking to what they have done to be right before God but I believe we see an attitude of indifference we see this this thought and people where I'm just gonna do whatever I want and I'll I'll be good before God. I've heard that Jesus is loving. I've heard these things about Jesus. You know, I'm not sure if I believe in him, but I'm good. You know, I, I'm sure I'm not a bad person. And, and you see this, this like indifference, which is just 
as dangerous as self-righteousness. Because they're, they're missing, missing the mark here of, of seeing that there's a Savior, there, there's a Redeemer, there's one who has given His life to pay for sins. Or that salvation is in Christ alone. It's not in thinking I'm, I'm good enough or I'm done enough. The, the reality is, apart from Christ, there is no one good enough. No matter what you want to believe, no matter what you think truth is, Apart from God, there is no one, apart from Christ, there is no one good enough to be right before God. No amount of good works, no amount of anything apart from Christ will make you right before God. Titus chapter 3, verses 5 through 7. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to His mercy He saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost, which He shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that being justified by His grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Salvation is in Christ. We need Christ, period. Amen. Bottom line, we need Christ. Back to our self-righteous conversation here. Uh, look, the self-righteous Pharisees. Look at, look at Luke 16, verses 14 and 15. <clears throat> Excuse me. And the Pharisees also, who were covetous, heard all these things, and they derided him. And he said unto them. Ye are they which justify yourselves before men. But God knoweth your hearts. For that which is highly esteemed among men is abomination in the sight of God. Do you see that strong language there? You have so much pride in what you've done in your righteousness. You trusting in righteousness is, in your righteousness is an abomination before God. It is not what God is, is pleased in. Then you go over to, to Luke 18, verses 9 through 14. And he spake this parable unto certain which trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Two men went up into the temple to pray, the one a Pharisee and the other a publican. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank thee that I am not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even this as this publican. I fast twice in the week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And the publican, standing afar off, would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven, but smote upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner." I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For every one that exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. You see the contrast there? You see the, the broken, repentant heart that recognizes they're not worthy of God? And then you see the self-righteous where, God, you're lucky to have me. I'm glad I'm not like these horrible, sinful people, just ignoring the fact that they are sinners as well. The, the self-righteous will not see heaven, as we've seen John 8, 22, second part. Whither I go, ye cannot come. All right, verse 23. 
And he said unto them, Jesus speaking, Ye are from beneath, I am from above. Ye are of this world, I am not of this world. So Jesus here continues to elaborate on his warning to those rejecting him. They were going to die in their sins, and they could not go where he was going. They were from beneath. They were part of this world. Jesus was, was not part of this world, but these self-righteous individuals were. And this word world or, or cosmos uh, in the context here is, is talking about the spiritual system that opposes the kingdom of God. And I'm going to tell you some things about the, the world or the, the spiritual system of the world that is anti-God here. I'm going to throw some references out there. If you're taking notes, you can write them down. You can look them up later if you want. But this, this world, this, this cosmos here that, that God is, that Jesus is talking about, is talking about the spiritual system that opposes the kingdom of God. 2 Corinthians 10.5 This world is against the knowledge of God. 2 Corinthians 10.5 This world does not recognize the true identity of Jesus or His followers. John 1, 10, 1 John 3, 1. They are ignorant of the Holy Spirit, John 14, 7. This world loves darkness rather than light, John 3, 19. This world is blind to spiritual truth, 2 Corinthians 4, 4, Matthew 13, 1. This world, this, this spiritual system, actually hate Jesus and His followers. And you can see that, and you can see that in the news. You can see that happening. It, it was back in Jesus' day, and it continues to today, where this world system, anti-God, anti-His kingdom, anti-Jesus, hates Jesus, and it hates His followers. John 15, 18 through 19, 17, verse 14, 1 John 3, 13. Hallmarks of this world system are lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, the pride of life. And you can see that clearly. Just read the newspaper. 1 John 2.16 This world this is opposed to divine truth, to righteousness and holiness. Think about this. This, this hatred, this source behind the hatred of the Pharisees towards Jesus towards those that reject Christ is hell itself, is the devil himself. You look at John 8, verse, verse 44. You are of your father, the devil. That's what Jesus is going to eventually tell these people. You are of your father, the devil. And the lust of your father you will do. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. So these people standing against Jesus, remember, they are religious people. They are seemingly zealous for God, but they are not operating in the power of God. They're operating influenced by the devil influenced by evil, and they are anti-God and His kingdom. You can go to Ephesians, actually let's do that. You guys like turning in your Bibles, right? Ephesians 2.2, 2, 
wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, and the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. Then you go to, you go to James chapter 4, verse 4. Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. You see this this world system that rejects God, that that hates God, is is an enemy of God? 1 John 2.15 Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. So you see Jesus telling these people they're from this world. He's talking about they're, they're from this, this system that rejects God, that hates God, that is, that is led by the devil, their, their father, the father of lies. He's not talking about the beautiful mountains and the, the beautiful things that, that he created here. He gave us his creation to, to enjoy, to, to shine glory on him. But this idea of this world here that he's talking about is this wicked system that rejects God and hates God. So Jesus sharply contrasts their views, his, his view and the fact that, that he's from heaven, that he speaks the truth, that he's from the Father, and their view, or they're from their father, the devil, and they, they hate Jesus, they hate what he's doing, they reject him. Jesus contrasts their views here. Jesus was not from this world or this world system. He was from heaven, and he was always doing his Father's will. And it's just a wonderful thought that believers are not of this world either. In the sense that this is in our home, that is not our, the devil is not our, our father. John 17 Verses 14 and 16. I have given them thy word, and the world hath hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but thou shouldest keep them from the evil. Yes, we live in this this evil, sin-filled world, but this is not our, our final place. This is not this world is not who drives our passions and our desires and and our praise and our glory. It is Jesus, and He has freed us from the curse of sin, from the curse of this world. Through Jesus, through Him working in our hearts and our minds, we know we are no longer slaves to sin and to this world. Then back in John 8, verse 24, I said therefore unto you that ye shall die in your sins, for if ye believe not that I am he, ye shall die in your sins. Jesus declares unbelief to be their problem. They rejected the truth of Jesus. They refused to acknowledge who Jesus was. Did you see in verse 24, that he said, if ye believe not that I am he, that I am is, is critical, very critical. What's he doing there? Declaring to be God. If, if you don't believe that I am, and you can go back to the Old Testament and see God being I am. 
tell them, I am has sent you. And we see John recording Jesus being these I am phrases. But Jesus says, if ye believe not that I am he, ye shall die in your sins. They're not believing that Jesus is God. They're not believing that he is deity. They're not believing that he is the way, the truth, and the life. They're not believing that he is the water and the light. They're not believing that he is the source of true righteousness and spiritual life. Uh, they're not believing that, that he is the one that gives freedom from this world and the bondage of sin. They're not believing that he is Messiah, that he is God in the flesh. They reject Jesus as I am. They reject him as God. They reject him as Messiah, as Savior, as King, as Lord. So much to the point where I mentioned this earlier, verse 59, I think it is, they take up stones to cast at him. They're not believing he is I am. They're trying to kill him. And you see this result of their, their rejection If ye believe not that I am he, ye shall die in your sins. And those who reject Jesus will die in their sins. This is a, in a sense, a a sad, it's not like a real encouraging, lively message that you're hearing today in the sense of, whoo-hoo, I'm at church, I'm going to have, you know, I'm going to have a wonderful week now. I heard that people are sinners and they're not good enough on their own and, and they're unrighteous and, man, Pastor Ben's a big jerk telling us this stuff. But this stuff is so important and so many people miss it. And, And I think it is encouraging when you get to the end and you see the fact that some people actually believed. And it's encouraging in the fact that that Jesus became sin for me. And I can believe in him. I can trust in him. And he can make me righteous. And he can remove me from the, the power of sin, from the slavery and the bondage of sin. So the reality of it can be depressing where you see that I'm a dirty, rotten sinner and I need a Savior. But is there anything more exciting than to know that Jesus made the way that God had a plan to redeem people to himself and we can believe in him and we can be declared righteous before the Father? I am God we can be declared before. That's exciting right there. But it is negative to think that we're sinners. But we're sinners. We get to verse 25. Then said they unto him, Who art thou? That, that to me seems like they're being sarcastically rhetorical. Who, who, who are you? Who are you to, to judge us? Who are you to say that we're going to die in our sins? Mr. Jesus, don't, don't you know, teacher Jesus, don't you know who we are? We are Pharisees. We are Jews. We have made rules to add to God's rules. We are important people. Who are you to that we're going to die in our sins? Even if they were just saying, who, who are you? Jesus had already declared who he was. And look what he says. Um, even the same, 
that I said unto you from the beginning? You still wonder who I am? I'm the same I am that I said I was in the beginning. I am the Messiah. I am the Christ. I am the Lord. I am the Savior of the world. Verse 26. I have many things to say and to judge of you, but he that sent me is true, and I speak to the world those things which I have heard of him. So I've got a lot more to say about you, and we'll see him as we continue in our study of the Gospels where Jesus just really lets them have it, even at the end of this, this chapter, calls them their father the devil. He, he says, I've got a lot more to say to you. You've been exposed to so much truth. In fact, the truth was standing right in front of them. Your ignorance and rejection is inexcusable. His judgment of them would be in perfect harmony with the Father's will. His words to them would be in perfect harmony with the Father's will. He only spoke and did what the Father wanted him to. And we see that over and over again. That shouldn't be a question that we have. Then verse 27, They understood not that he spake to them of the Father. They still don't get it. You see the influence of their unbelief and their rejection. They just don't get it. He's standing in front of them, and they don't get it. Then verse 28, Then said Jesus unto them, When ye have lifted up the Son of Man, then shall ye know that I am he, and that I do nothing of myself, but as my Father hath taught me, I speak these things. So there's coming a day, and Jesus is speaking ahead into the future here. Um, it, there's a day he's going to be crucified, he's going to be resurrected, he's going to ascend back up to heaven with the Father. You will see my claims become reality. You will see the fact that I am who I said that I am. You will see that I have been indeed operating perfectly according to the Father's will. In the very near future, many people would in fact believe. You go to Acts chapter 2, the day of Pentecost, you see 3,000 people believing in, in Christ in one day after he had died and, and, and raised again and, and ascended. You see th this working, you see many people believing in him. So there is coming a day when, when people would believe in, in the future from what Jesus was saying here. The, then verse uh, 29, And he that sent me is with me. The Father hath not left me alone, for I do always those things that please him. Jesus completely operated in the will of the Father, completely pleasing the Father all the time. Then you get to verse 30, As he spake these words, many believed on him. That's exciting. Even right then and there, there were many that believed. I, no, I'm not going to go there. Um, you, you also see there were many that believed, but there's also many that rejected him. Many, many, many because Jesus continues to talk to them and expose them. They were so close to the truth, yet they rejected. They were content to stay self-righteous. They were content to stay unbelieving. 
well, I'm good enough, Jesus, you're full of it, I don't need you. They were content to remain willfully ignorant. They were content to be dead in their trespasses and sins, consumed by the world's system, by their father, the devil. They thought that they were good enough and that they had it figured out. But what's their reality? In rejecting Christ, they would die in their sins. We need Jesus. Humanity needs Jesus. Sinful people need Jesus. And sinful people is everyone apart from Jesus. We need Jesus. The world needs Jesus. Now, I, I just want to make clear the reality of the fact that no one can stand before God righteous apart from Jesus Christ. I feel like I've said that 86 times already today. But also, let's praise our God for his righteous work, for his faithfulness. We don't have to walk out of here bummed out. Oh, man, the world's full of sinners. We knew that when we walked in. You knew that when you're waiting in traffic. Or you almost get hit in the parking lot by a bicycle. You, you understand. The world is full of sinful people that need Jesus. And aren't you so thankful that he worked in your heart, that he worked in your life? And he made you righteous before the Father because doing good things will never accomplish that for you. We need Jesus to then work in us to do good things. But that's a whole other message in itself. I'm just thankful for God, and I want to be careful to praise him for his working because I can see the hopeless state that I am in apart from him, or at least a glimpse of it. I don't think we can fully understand the desolation of rejecting God. But I'm just thankful for my God and for his faithfulness. Let's pray together. Dear Father, I thank you for our time together this morning. Thank you for your faithfulness and your working. We can do nothing on our own to be right before you. We need Jesus. And I thank you for Jesus and for his sacrificial work, for the gift of true life that he has offered. I pray that you would work in hearts today. If there's anyone that is trusting in anything other than you, that they will turn to you, that you will work in their hearts, that you will expose the reality that they need you. They don't need to come to church more. They don't need to do more of this or that religious deed. They need you. I pray that you would help us to praise you for your faithfulness and for your working in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.